Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Pascal Donahue faces the doll again as new information emerges from the 2020 general election campaign. I am now aware that an unauthorised corporate donation of €434.20 was unknowingly received by Fine Gael, Dublin Central. A new Virgin Media poll lays bare the issue of housing with younger people. A shocking 9 out of 10 young adults worry they'll never own a home and half are considering emigrating over the next year. And Hollywood, here we come. It's Ireland's best ever Oscar nominations haul, with the Banshees of Inishirin leading the way, and a first film, Osquelga, to get a nod. I've grown up speaking Irish, and it's amazing. It's such a beautiful language, and I'm so thankful that I can sh share it and that it's getting the recognition it deserves. Join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Pascal Donoghue's election expenses scandal has rumbled on for more than a week and today's latest instalment saw the Minister for Public Expenditure back in front of the doll and he confirmed a breach of the rules on political donations after receiving a corporate donation worth more than the legal limit. The under-fire minister has admitted his election campaign in 2020 used vans owned by a supporter's company and will now have to arrange a refund. I am now aware that an unauthorised corporate donation of €434.20 was unknowingly received by Fine Gael, Dublin Central. This was in the form of the use of vehicles, the commercial value of which exceeded the maximum allowable donation limit of €200. SIPO have been notified of this breach and €234.20 the amount received in excess of the allowable limit will be refunded to the designer group. When he was done, the opposition got into heated discussions over the minister over what he had to disclose. So, so Deputy, I don't know if you're interested in my answer or my head, but what you're going to guess is the best in answer that I have and last week there, you wouldn't the answer any of the questions because it is a cock and bull story. And you've been caught out time and time again, not just not in terms of accepting undeclared political views. What a cover-up that has gone on week after week. To determine. I'll just, can Corla, no, no, hold on. all the information no, no, please, I have Minister, insurance. hold on. Well, tonight, Taoiseach Leo Fradkar has reacted to Pascal Donoghue's statement, saying it is now time to move on. As his colleagues, uh, we're going to support him because we believe him. But ultimately, uh, this matter um, shouldn't be decided uh, in the political partisan chamber, which is the doll. Uh, we have a standards commission. A complaint has been received. They're looking into it. And I think we should now move on, allow the standards commission to do its work uh, and talk about the issues that people are really interested in. 
Well, let's get more on this. I'm joined by Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan, Sinn Féin's Mairead Farrell and Fiona Sheehan, Ireland editor with TheIndependent.ie. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you first, Fiona, on this, did we get the clarity that was being sought today from Pascal Donoghue. He called it an inadvertent corporate donation. Uh, that's a, a new one on us. Um, over postering, he'd assumed was done on a voluntary basis. And so many figures as well, I think, that we heard today in the Dáil, as well as the figures we got earlier today from Michael Stone. And the figures we got last week. So it was about four and a half grand's worth of money going about here between Michael Stone as an individual, Michael Stone's uh, company. And, and effectively what, what Pascal Donoghue has done is he's outlined each of these figures, but he's parceled them up uh, in, in different ways. So in, in some cases, he benefits directly from them, but he's saying that the, the monetary value didn't necessarily go to him. It went to either Fine Gael nationally or, or, or Fine Gael locally. And that would all seem to largely be uh, related to accusations that the, the donations law was, was broken here. So what we categorically have is that there was a breach of the, of the law. Uh, it's not just the rules or the guidelines, it's the law on, on his election expenses in two general elections and similarly a breach of the law uh, on, on donations. Uh, and a corporate donation that related to, to Fine Gael. So you, you have to take each one of the payments. What the Senate's Public Office would have to do is ascertain that amount of money, where did it come from, where did it go to, under which way was it accounted for. And I was looking at a web here tonight. You've got two different donors, you've got three different recipients, you've got three different types of donations at, at play here, you've four different de declarations, and you've one law underpinning it all. And the Public Office Commission will have to sift through all of that and determine that at the very end of it, right, how many breaches are we looking at here and how serious was it? I'm wondering, did it have to all be so complex? And is it um, complex in the way that donations are given or help is given during the course of an election? Well, it, it is because, it, it, because it's governed by law. I mean, people can look at it and say... But sure, he was just giving help to Pascal Dunham and, and to Fine Gael, but different entities are different, treated in different ways. For example, a, a local branch or a, a local constituency organisation don't have any kind of legal locus standi in terms of expenses and donations. It, it, it's either the candidate or TD and the, the party nationally. They are the, the two entities that have to account uh, for both election expenses mm. uh, and also so donations. So the party locally was coming into the equation here as well. And it, it appeared that that was kind of shifting responsibility uh, in a different direction. So I suppose it's, it's the law that, that makes it complicated. And it's there for a very valid reason because of events that we had back in, in the 1990s and, and uh, politicians who were previously in, in, in senior positions. Uh Barry Cowan, what we heard today from opposition was, and we will probably hear from Wraith Farrell again on this, the lack of plausibility in all of this. Uh, Pierce Doherty calling it a cock and bull story, Roisin Shortall asking, um, asking the minister, you thought it was being done on a voluntary basis, are you really expecting us to believe it? Um, did Michael Stone's expenses have a paper trail, Jed Nash asked. I mean, is the story plausible? Well, look, I, suppose, I wasn't there. I've heard snippets of it. Catherine, um, Catherine, um, what do you call her? Honey. Catherine. Honey. No, the, the, the leader, the joint leader of the Social Democrats. 
Catherine Murphy. Catherine Murphy, sorry. Catherine Murphy said he made a bit of a Hames of it. And it was speak, Roisin Shortall said that. Roisin Shortall, yeah. okay. And it is a bit of a Hames. Um, I honestly believe he didn't realise that there was payment made towards some of the expenses incurred during the course of the election. Um, when he was made aware of and he sought to rectify it, he attributed the, 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 the payment to the Fine Gael party, as has been said. I think at that time, I did believe, based on the questioning that was coming from Pierre Starry, that it was probably a similar experience in 2020. That subsequently materialised today. Again, he has attributed the spend as an expense on the part of the party in relation to the election expense and has sought to rectify that by making a yeah. repayment it's over and above the amount. I think that's what I'm asking. So, I'm asking so, with, so all, then, with all of these questions that have been put yeah, today, well then, then it boils down the to, accusations then it boils, the opposition, yeah, then it boils down to it, should it have been classified as a donation and you have more responsibilities if that's the case. And some would argue that the definition would indicate that. That's what SIPO will now have to adjudicate on. Yeah, I, know I think from, from, from Pascal yeah. uh, Donoghue's position, he sought to put something right, uh, not having been aware of the exact detail in, in initially. Uh, I, I, so is I that don't plausible his, that the I, I minister wouldn't look, have done that check when he I said accept. a member of his team suggested I mean, maybe he was, you know, maybe Michael Stone was in involved the in the 2020 battle, campaign? Also, he, was also, he was also director of elections for his party in the 2020 election. And there's no Therefore, doubt. Therefore, no a director it, of elections, is it plausible? Exactly, but look, I mean, he has given his so yes fair or no. And honest Sorry, account. Barry, just to get no, your listen, take on us, it. No, I'll try and I'll try and can you allow me, please. He's given a fair and honest account from his perspective. He sought to put everything out there in the open. The question that remains is something that SIPA will have to adjudicate on. Is it classified as a donation to the party, or is it classified as a personal donation? On accountability. When to they the adjudicate on that, we 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 we'll see where it goes from there. In the meantime. As has been said by the Taoiseach and others, you know, we need to move on from this. We're a week speaking and talking about it now. I don't believe it's a hanging offence. It can't always be either a hanging or get off scot-free. There has to be some proportionality in relation to these issues. And but as you I said agree with Roisin Shortall that he made a hames of it? He did make a hames of it. And sure God Almighty, we've all made mistakes and we've all made a hames of this, that and the other, whatever the case may be. And it's not right or proper that he should in this instance either. But that's what has happened. It's, 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 it's an honest effort by right. him uh, belatedly to rectify the matter. There's some people still have a difficulty with that rectification measure that he undertook right. and it's up for SIPO to adjudicate on them there. Okay. Um, Sinn Féin would be among the parties with the difficulty um, with Pascal Donoghue's response. Would I be right? Was there any reassurance <laughs> at all that you got today from the Minister I mean, with his difficulty, statements at all? Difficulty. It's been absolutely farcical. We've had a situation over the last week where, from what I can see, the story has changed on literally a daily, if not um, a few times a day um, basis. So what the Minister is now um, trying to make us believe is that he wasn't aware um, of, of certain things that had happened in the 2020 election, even though he had actually been questioned in relation to what happened in 2016, um, in 2017. So, I mean, if you were being questioned by a journalist about something that happened in 2016, you'd think you'd be very sure that that same issue didn't happen in 2020. And, and Claire, not only that, but the reality is, we wouldn't even have the answer to that question or we wouldn't even know about this if it wasn't for the fact that Pierce Stardy literally asked him four times last Wednesday. And I, the, 
then raised it again with him on the Thursday. Yeah. So the fact is, like, it wasn't like he came into the um, into the chamber last Wednesday and he said, look, I'm going to just lay it all out on the table. I mean, he tried to tell us on the Sunday when he initially did um, the interview with, with the journalist that he was being very honest, open and honest about it. Then he was telling us on the okay. Wednesday he was going to do the same. And now, I mean, everything, things are changing here so on a daily basis. Are you saying now, and um, we got the statement, and the minister did take questions today, do you believe there are more questions to ask? There's so many questions well, that haven't what, what literally been asked. What specific questions does Sinn Féin okay, so for example, want answered he, he, at this point? Well, for example, a clear question that he isn't able to answer, um, even at this point, is how many posters were actually put up, right? He's also telling us then that this is for the party, it wasn't personal. Um, although it doesn't appear that um, the other candidate in the constituency got that assistance either. We know from what the other candidate has declared in that constituency that it was costing five I mean, this is one of the smallest constituencies in um, mm. in the state. Anybody that has run an election um, will know if there was All a right. team going out for five nights putting up posters, okay. but especially in an urban small constituency, they'd know well um, that it's how many posters. And if it was only and a handful... why is the poster wonder... number, as distinct from the value of that work which he believes he's given, um, so important? Oh, because, I mean, it's about the clarity of the entire thing. But also, how can you really put a value on something? If, I mean, there was initially, there was this thing about there was 150 posters being put up over five nights. I mean, which is just, uh, you're putting double on posters and th all this stuff. But like, it, it, let's be frank about this. Like, it, but if I he don't feel that any of these he questions... he doesn't have an answer on the posters, you don't believe well, that's he, plausible that he wouldn't know how many posters went up? I don't think it's plausible that okay. he's making out that it's a small amount and it was over five nights and three teams. What more okay. do you want, Mairead? What, what oh, well, he, do you he, want? He, do you want Sipo to do their job or would you rather put down a motion well, of no confidence and we can then move on and well, waste actually, another day? There's a, there's a few things, right? First of all, I would like him to have just been honest from the very get-go, right? But things okay, no, we know that. Basis, yeah, right? know, we've established that. Sipo absolutely do need to do their job, but the government also needs to give Sipo the powers to investigate. No, but that's really important okay. because they've been calling for that for years and this minister has been in government for the last And I think years. actually the Taoiseach may have alluded to that tonight, well, looking, looking at, at, so at Sipo's powers. But sure, you say you haven't got the answers. You say there are more questions to ask. Do you plan a motion of no confidence now? I think Minister at this Pascal point, we, we need to, like, I mean, we do need to get more answers to the questions. No, you, if, you do, if, that, the, if that's it now, we, and no, that's we, all we we're going to get at this point, the Many next step, days. and people may have assumed that Sinn Féin will put down that motion today, or will at least have flagged it by this time tonight, and you haven't done so. Do you plan on doing so? Well, we're going to consider it over the next consider the well, so, no, course of action. So you don't know. I'm, I'm not going to make a decision here right now. That's something that we're going it to make a decision about. over the over the course of the over the course of the next few days. But like, I mean, come on. I don't gone. think anybody yeah. is going to listen now, and think that what Pascal right. has done now, today is in any way answerable. No, we're not getting an answer really because well, Sinn Féin haven't made the, made up um, their minds. Haven't made up their minds yet on if they plan a motion of no confidence. You would think if that was something they were considering that that maybe it would sort of be out by now or we get, we'd get an inkling about it. Where, where do you think this is going to go? Well, there wasn't 11,000 people marching down Limerick at the weekend about Pascal Donoghue's posters and how many he put up. Like, you know, there's, there's bigger issues uh, out, mm. out there for people. At this point now, he came into the door last week. He didn't give a satisfactory explanation by, by any means. He's come back now with a, another statement and he set out all the figures. He was challenged back. There was in, interesting interactions tonight, particularly with, with on the... The Paul Murphy put some specific figures to him and he, he was basically sticking to his story that, well, no, there's a difference between him and Fine Gael locally 
when under the law, actually there isn't. You're the candidate. You're the one who has to. So that's what that's what Sipo now have to ju have to judge upon. Sinn Féin have brought this up as the primary issue. Uh, the first two days of the Dáil coming back last week and, and again today. So, yeah, the, the next step is to just turn around and go, we don't believe it's credible, so therefore here's a motion. Yeah, well, the, government, the government won't be providing any more time for any further questioning as far as I'm aware. So the ball is in Sinn Féin's court. If they want to put down a motion of no confidence, we can do that and get it over with if that's the only way it can be got over with. Other than that, you know, as the fellow says, let's move on. Uh, like, you resigned your own position. Do you think um, that should have happened so quickly in your case? Like, oh, how, look, do, you, how look, do you feel look, about ministerial look, I, resignations? You know, my case is, is a matter for another day, and we can discuss that on another occasion. This issue is one which the government has faced over the last week. Uh, there's been much talk and speculation in relation to the minister coming back before the House today and putting on the, on the record his rectifications in relation to the issues that arose over the last week. He has done that. I accept that. I accept that SIPO was given a job to do. It'll make an adjudication on the points that were made by Paul Murphy and Pierre Starry or anybody else who made points by virtue of the fact that it'll classify those payments I mean, as to what they were. And the ramifications or the repercussions will occur then, only okay. then. In the meantime, the, the government has a job to do and the opposition have a job to do. And as Fionn says, and others have said, there are many other more pressing issues that need to be addressed and that people would like to see us addressing on a regular basis, rather than Sinn Féin agreeing to go right. back into looking well, to go into the doll again right, tomorrow, just to have ask, the same questions asked over and over again. Just to ask you, Mairead, say you were to pursue a resignation, that would lead to a snap general election, um, as your party is well aware. That's why the stakes are so high uh, in this I, one. I is there, is there hesitancy, here. therefore, to push for this? No, I, I think there's something like actually missing in relation to this whole thing and in terms of the debate in relation to this whole issue. It's about influence and power and who has influence and power and who has... No, it is. It fundamentally right. comes down to this, right? You see, when you're saying that... Sorry, no, 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 seconds, Barry, let right. me make Over a the point. last number of years, right since I was elected, and I don't equate the two, there has been... Um, consistently uh, scandals within the government, be it around lobbying, whether it be about SIPO, all these kind of things, right? And if you are an ordinary person looking in and you see how you can't have access to housing, the issues in terms of the healthcare and all that, and you feel that you have less... Um, ability to, you know, to lobby your ministers and other people. Are you talking well, about those thousands of people annoyed. who may have been marching over the issue of health around the country? I'm talking about the people who have been marching on health. I'm talking about the people that are coming into my clinics. I had a woman who was living in her car with an eight-week-old baby and a two-year-old baby because she cannot get emergency accommodation. Exactly. This is the government and Pascal Donoghue has been a minister in that government for, for the last number of years who's prevailed over this housing well, crisis. So let's not, well, let's not take away the seriousness in relation to that's fine this. if you want to go about attacking his policies which you believe are not addressing those issues. But don't take him down or look to take him out or have him hung or hounded out of office because of €140 Euro worth, of, worth of posters or how many he put up at a certain night that you dispute. Like the people that you talk well, about that need... Well, it's more than that now, even by his own admission. It is more than that, just, Sippo, to, just to clarify. Like, Sippo was we're put talking... in place... Claire, to rectify and make judgments but and adjudications on matters such as this. We don't know yet whether SIPO will actually launch an investigation there, do we, Exactly, Barry? but they I expect they will, and they will come back and they'll, they'll make a judgment based on their powers? independent professionalism as to whether they believe to be a donation to the party or a personal donation. And, you know, there will be ramifications, repercussions based on 
that process. In the meantime, I want to get on with the but job. But this is the perfect of, opportunity of, of, to of give trying the to ensure that the government responds effectively to the issues of which I was elected. Like, I actually am baffled at the fact there... that last week it wasn't immediately the government said, Do you know what, we're going to actually give these powers to SIPO now because they belong with Colin Fern and they I, need I it. I don't think anyone will be able to retrospectively give SIPO powers overnight no. to look at, look at this I'm matter. Not they're, 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 I mean, they're looking forward. at it based upon the law at the moment. Exactly. And they can make a judgment. And actually, SIPO are fairly monumentally useless watchdog, in my opinion. I've been monitoring their activities now for many years. They never go out of their way to look into the things that are absolutely lacking in, in transparency. Mm -hmm. On this issue, there's a fairly clear law. It's set out under Electoral Acts of 1997, amended therein uh, and thereafter. And there are quite clear breaches here that are being admitted mm -hmm. to that, that SIPO can invest. What if there are clear breaches, as you've outlined, and actually as, as Pascal Dunhu stood up and, and admitted to today, then is it likely that there will be some sort of penalty? And what, what form could that penalty take? Up to and take? including imprisonment is where SIPO, where ultimately an investigation of this nature can go. In you, the history of that, SIPO is, investigations, yeah, know, has, it ever, right. got, but, has but, it ever got to that? But that's what the legislation says, and that's the legislation they will, they will be acting under. So they will have to investigate each of these payments. They will have to say, yes, we are satisfied uh, with this explanation. We're not with that one. They'll also have to, to, to bear in mind what rules were breached here. And mm. they will then come back uh, with their report, either uh, recommending some sanction, or they will pass it on to the, the relevant authorities, being, being the Gardaí, to investigate uh, and with, with, and or, or indeed just con conduct and, their, and, own, and the their own public is, hearing. The doll is not the forum where those questioning, those decisions... But there is also... No, other, no, no, well, there no, is accountability no, 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 to the doll no, yeah, when if, you stand up and you give a statement and that it turns the land, out very... And the law of the land is a SIPO has When a you stand up, as Pascal Donoghue did, and he didn't give the full facts as we now know them, there is accountability to the doll. Would yes, you not agree with that? Yes, he did so you, were asked, yeah, yeah. you were asked to stand in front of the doll and, I suppose, give your own account. Yeah, uh, and as uh, I said to you, as uh, I said uh, to you uh, Claire, uh, we can go through the rights of wrongs of that on another occasion. But I won't be used solely as a mechanism to say two wrongs don't make a right. What I'm saying is Pascal Donoghue didn't reason. answer questions last week. He agreed to come back. But isn't there a reason that, week. that did a that. minister would be obliged to but stand he, before the doll? He has, he has done he, so. He has done so. He's Murray, done it three Murray, times listen, now and he I mean, still not has Yeah, it. well, he's not doing it anymore because it's up to SIPO now to adjudicate on it. And that's the... That's the ultimate, ultimately, Mairead, are, are you likely to wait to see what, what SIPO decides to do on this and whether they take I think that, at this that, point, there is follow a, through with an in investigation? In my view, right? And, like, maybe I'm the only one on this panel, but in my view, there's a lot of questions that literally do remain unanswered. And I hope that we do, that we do get some answers um, over, the, over the next few days. Like, in fairness, last Sunday, wasn't it? Sunday a week ago, did he not say that that was the only time he was going to comment on it? Then on Wednesday, he said it was going to be the only time he commented on it. Then I asked him questions on Thursday and he decided he was going to talk about it this week. So God knows what so we're going hard. to know in the next few, All right. in the next 24 hours. But, you know, it's so, time, to, it's time okay. to move on. It's time to move on. All right. Well, you said it, Barry, so we will. <laughs> we will actually take a break now, but my panel is staying on with me. Um, we're going to look at a Virgin Media opinion poll that lays bare the issues facing the nation around housing. Do stay with us.
Welcome back. A Virgin Media television survey has revealed that nine out of ten young adults fear they'll never own a home and half are considering emigrating. The State of the Nation poll was carried out nationally by Red Sea among a sample of more than a thousand adults. Let's take a look at some new poll findings from that survey, which we can exclusively bring you uh, tonight here on The Tonight Show. Over half of those in rented accommodation are concerned that their landlord will serve notice to leave. That's rising to 58% among 35 to 54-year-olds who are renting. Less than half of respondents in rented accommodation could move in with their parents or a family member if faced with the prospect of having to move out of their current rented property and no suitable alternatives to rent. Only 35% of those, just over a third of those aged uh, 35 to 54, say they have this option uh, available to them. Well, Barry Cowan, Maraith Farrell and Fiona Sheehan are still here with me. And I'm joined on Skype tonight by Kira O'Loughlin, who has emigrated to Australia, and Alice Linehan, who is considering leaving. You're both very welcome along to the programme. Kira. I know it's nine o'clock in the morning there. Thank you for joining us from Sydney. Um, you fall just above that age threshold um, at 26. I don't, can we call you a young adult? We can certainly call you a young person. You're young in my eyes, but <laughs> let, let's talk about it. You've done that. You have made that big decision to emigrate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, why? Yeah, so it's really interesting that these kind of two conversations are coming up together, the emigrating and the issues that young people are facing with housing at home, because that's kind of exactly the reason that I decided to move. I mean, in March 2020, I was planning on moving to New York, but that fell through because of the pandemic. And then after that, I kind of lost a lot of money through that. And I, I, I got a job I was happy with. I decided, you know, look, travel's out of the picture for the next while anyway. Um, but then I was living at home during the pandemic and um, I just wanted a bit of freedom. I wanted to live a bit close to the city. So early last year, me and my friend started looking for a two bed apartment together and it just proved impossible. We sent like, I'd say close to 100 emails. We only ended up actually getting two viewings and it was actually at one of these viewings 
um, I kind of made a snap decision to move to Australia. We were standing in the flat. It was cold. It was old. Like they were asking us, it was it was nearly two grand between us. And I had friends who were moving to Australia at the end of the year. So it was kind of while I was standing in that flat, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. And the next day I applied for my visa. How is life there? Uh, the Taoiseach infamously said grass isn't always greener elsewhere outside of Ireland. Is it greener there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, it's not easy in any sense of the imagination. You're packing up your whole life and moving literally to the other side of the world. I actually kind of find it hard to get somewhere to live. Um, now, it's still within two weeks we found somewhere and we move in next week. So I've been on a couch for that time, which isn't ideal. Um, and we did struggle. Like we were at viewings like every day, about six to eight. Um, I remember one Saturday we went to 12 between me and my friend and there was like 100 to 150 people at all of them. So it's really, really competitive. But it's actually funny that there's just been an influx of Irish people who have came since Christmas um, and we're all looking in the same area. So that's kind of why I think we kind of kicked ourselves in the foot there because um, at all these viewings, it was mostly Irish people I was seeing. So, um, yeah, I think that's why we found it so difficult as well. We're looking in just an area that you know, be quite sought after, close enough to the city, but close to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of why we found it harder. Whereas if we went out further, we probably would have gotten it easier. But we are sorted now, thankfully. Um, uh, thankfully, that's good news that you got sorted there and you're settling in well at this point. Alice um, Linehan, Alice joins us as well. Alice, you are not in Sydney, you are in Nace. Um, you haven't left Ireland, but at the age of 24, you're strongly considering leaving. Uh, and why is that? Is that down to uh, the, the rent pressures again, the difficulty in finding accommodation? Um, does, does work come into it? What are the reasons for you? Yeah, so I am in Nace tonight, but I rent in Dublin um, and the price is, it's difficult. It's tough going. Um, like a lot of my salary would have gone into rent and I don't get paid very well for the job that I'm doing um, which is just kind of the general market here but yeah I think it's 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 a combination of things I think there's a lot of pull from definitely other European countries in terms of uncontrollable things like weather and things like that but also in terms of rent prices and what you get for your money and the general kind of standard of living in other places what's available in in big cities and things like that and then a lot of my friends are leaving too and one of the things that keeps me in Dublin is community and people and when they're all leaving you kind of kind of get tempted to do the same uh, do you think it's likely then, it's something uh, you say you're considering, our survey has found that people are considering, and uh, there's a difference, I suppose, between considering doing it and actually doing it. Do you, do you think it's likely to happen for you that you will leave Ireland? Yeah, my kind of current plan at the moment is to stay here. I have a lease until the end of October, I think, and then maybe move home for a couple of months, save some money, and then maybe this time next year, look at uh, going somewhere else. All right, let's bring our panel in at this point. Um, Barry Cowan, to come to you. When you hear those stories from Kira and from Alice um, and you see the statistics that we're talking about, but half of people, half of 18 to 24-year-olds are considering emigrating within the next year. Um, that's a big lack of hope for the future here. Do you find it depressing? It's very disappointing to hear those figures, um, to hear those details, and it only reinforces uh, the wish and the want on the part of those of us who've been afforded the opportunity to be 
in Parliament to work with government to address these issues. I have three children myself that work in Dublin. Uh, one lives in Dublin, the other two commute. They can't afford to live there. And that's difficult for them and it's hard for me to see that. What can, what can I or what have we done about it? Do they blame government? Um, they, they see it as very uh, uh, an issue that has to be addressed. It needs to be more work put into. Yes, of course. If you, but then if you look at the most recently, 400,000 people qualify for a tax uh, rebate in relation to, to rent worth 500 euro. Only less than 20% of applied. Yeah, that's for if your landlord, of course, is, is yeah. signed up. Now, <coughs> the you know, tenancies in board. relation to, you know, we've had 28,000 housing mm -hmm. starts this year. Or last year, you have 16,000 first time okay. buyers, new cost rental schemes, new affordable schemes. But it's still not enough. I accept do, and appreciate do, do, that. Do you think that the will whole... ensure that a, a, another generation is not lost to emigration? No, look, I can only deal with the here and now. I can deal with, as a member of a government party, and who, who helped negotiate the programme for government. And within that, Fianna Fáil took it upon themselves to take this brief, as difficult as it was, in an effort to bring uh, some new initiatives. And you see cost rental, you see okay. affordability, you see 80,000 to reinstate yeah, vacant you can homes. See people and you see this week the Planning and Development are, Act are, will be amended to try and address the whole issue of, 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 of objections to planning applications at a time of, of crisis when it's taken up to four and five years in some instances of course. To, to, to bring those schemes to bear. So is there a lot being done? This, yes, there is. Is it working? This. Not yet. Is, it, is there progress being made? Yes, there is. In relation to the rental sector, I would say, I would hope to see, and I would be pressing on government to ensure that there's some tax concessions given to those landlords that offer long-term leases to try and get people back into that sphere, because a lot of people are leaving. Oh, so you're uh, saying landlords are getting out of the market. Tax breaks for landlords. I'm saying tax help. breaks for those who can offer long-term lease, which gives uh, right. security of tenure at a time when there's none. Tax breaks for landlords is one of Barry Cowan's solutions to what we're seeing here, the idea that um, young people have left or considering leaving strongly in big numbers within the next 12 months, according to our survey. I have never seen it as bad. Like in the last 10 years, say I did my leave insert in 2008, which was not a good time to be doing your leave insert looking out into the future. Um, and like, oh, like so many of my friends emigrated. It's, it's unbelievable the amount that emigrated. And now to see again, and you see it and you hear it. Like I hear it from friends of mine. I hear it from people I went to college with. I hear it when I'm knocking the doors. People keep saying to me, look, I, I, I'm going to go to Australia, so there's literally nothing here for me. Um, that is really concerning that in a, like, a 10 year period, we're literally seeing that all happen again. And it's no question, it's because of housing. And now I have friends who are trying to come back or who have come back and they've had to like, I'm talking about married couples who've had to like move in with, the, with uh, parents because there's literally nothing there. There's people coming um, who work in the HSE who can't get full-time jobs. They're working sort of contract jobs, can't get housing, okay. um, have, have no opportunities. And it is really, really concerning when we have a situation where um, young people again are having to look as far afield as Australia. And of course it's difficult to move. You're moving your whole life all the way across the world in a totally different time zone and not easy to get home if there's an emergency. It is really, really difficult. Okay, uh, Fiona, on this, um, it, it feels like this generation is bearing the brunt of the dysfunctional uh, housing market. And it's the outstanding reason for people leaving the country, different to other times when people have left. Um, different to say in the 80s when the whole economy was in recession and that's why people had to go. We keep hearing about this bouncing economy and how we're going great. But when it comes to actually people having a roof over their heads, we can't get that right. And different to 20 years ago, the last time we had, we were approaching full employment uh, as a nation where, where people were, were going abroad just because, you know, they, they were young and they felt right grand, I can go away for a couple of years and, and come back. 
there seems to be a, a sentiment now coming across that people are, are going away and they're not really sure they'd like the idea of going away just while they're young for a couple of years. We're not really sure that the, the problems will be will be rectified um, with, within that time period. The, part of the problem as well is that we, we actually, for the last couple of years, we've, we've had net migration into the country to separate out any issues around people fleeing war or refugees or anything like that, just in terms of workers coming into to the country, we've had net migration. So we're actually, we're losing the workers that we are training up in valued areas where we have shortages because of, of, the, of the housing problem. So it is that case of un, unless you have all the pieces in, in place, you, you won't be a functioning society. Um, yeah, it also appears to me, and I don't know, Kira, what you think of this, that it is a country divided here in Ireland, like most people in this country, and we tend to forget about it when we have this conversation, they're homeowners. There's people sitting pretty at home who don't face the problem that you face. Uh, do you think that the government, do you think the state cares enough about that 18 to 24-year-old um, cohort, those who are, you know, 30, beyond 30, who find themselves in this situation, that they're still at home, that they can't pay rent, that they never see themselves being able to afford a home? No, I don't think so, because I think it's even interesting when we're having this conversation, it's talked about a lot that people my age worry they'll never be able to afford a home. But actually, when I'm talking to my friends, Owning a home doesn't even really come up in the conversation. We're worried about getting somewhere to rent, you know? Like, I have, none of my friends in Dublin are living in what would be their kind of ideal ideal rental situation, excuse me. They're living in, you know, a house chair with people they don't know, and it's very lonely, and then others are living at home. So, yeah, it's not a great situation, and... Yeah, really needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, Alice, um, I don't know if you heard our panel there and asking, you know, Barry Cowan from a government point of view, is, is enough being done here, that progress is being made, but it's, you know, a sense that it's not coming quickly enough, but it, it will come. Is there a hope that actually it is a problem that can be fixed and that you may not have to leave? Or if you do leave, you can come home come home within a couple of years and you will you will be able to get sorted and you will be able to afford somewhere to live and somewhere, you know, happy to, to work and live your life. Yeah, I don't know. Right now, it seems like quite a distant possibility just because right now it's so unattainable. And as it was already said, the, the conversation of owning a home just doesn't come up with me and my friends. Maybe 24-year-olds don't talk about that kind of thing, but it's it's really, really not something that feels likely. And even if I think about in the future, if I wanted a house or whatever, I don't even I don't even think about the possibility of owning a home. It would be an apartment, something like that, something that's a little more maybe within reach. I hope it's something that can be fixed. I know so many people who've left who want to raise a family in Ireland who want to come back eventually, but it's going to have to be something that's affordable and that makes sense as opposed to living somewhere else where they can afford it and where their quality of life is better. Okay, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. We are out of time. Um, my thanks to Kira O'Loughlin and to Alice Linehan, who joined us on Skype, and to Barry Cowan and Mairead Farrell. Fionn is staying on with me as we take a look at an astoundingly good day uh, for Irish film in the Oscar nominations.
Welcome back. It's been a monumental day for Irish film with a record-breaking haul of Oscar nominations. The Banshees of Inna Sheeran was tipped to do well and it didn't disappoint, collecting nine nominations, including two in the Best Supporting Actor category. And on Colleen Kuhn became the first film Osgoelga to pick up a nomination for Best International Feature Film. It was probably the most tense moment of my life, just waiting, because you know we were the last film to be to be called out in the amongst the five nominees. So um, yeah, I mean it was just incredible. It was like I don't know, it was like Italian ninety all over again or something. It was it was just amazing. Yeah. Paul Mescal also picked up a nomination for his leading role in After Sun. Fiona Sheehan is still here with me. I'm also joined by journalist Mike Sheridan. Um, you're welcome to the programme, Mike. Uh, a huge day for the Irish. It is the most successful run of nominations in, in the Oscars, uh, it can be said, for, for Irish entries. Yeah, I think you have to go back to In the Name of the Father in the early 90s that got a, got a bunch of nominations. And obviously the Jim Sheridan movie, My Left Foot, had gotten a bunch of nominations in 88, 89. So it's been a while since we've had this kind of reverberation of success. And it's brilliant to see, I think particularly Paul Meskell, that kind of, he was mentioned, like the movie was very well received, but from to get an Oscar nomination kind of, I think he was even surprised by that. Um, yes, because Colin Farrell is also in the same category for yeah. Best Actor. And many of those nominated, that's Colin Farrell, Paul Meskell, Brendan Gleeson, um, Kerry Condon, they are all first-time Oscar nominees as well. So added excitement there. Yeah, and I remember seeing something years ago when Jeremy Renner was nominated for an Oscar for The Hurt Locker. It would have been maybe 2009, 2010. And Colin Farrell was on stage. She had actors on stage introducing each nominee. And there was a piece, I think it was in Variety, it was in one of the trades saying, why have Colin Farrell and these other actors on stage? They're never going to be nominated for an Oscar. And I remember reading at the time being like a little harsh because he was always a very good actor. Mm -hmm. He maybe wasn't getting the material. And now he's got a very, very good chance of taking home an Oscar. Yeah. Um, Fiona, it must be said there is a feel-good factor still associated with all of this, is there, when the Oscars come, comes around and we get the likes of Irish movies doing well or tipped to do well at least? There's a great buzz, but yeah, you, you also have to factor in that if you're reading kind of uh, variety in the US uh, critics, uh, LA Times and so on, tonight, they're, they're kind of not really tipping banshees of Inishirin for a whole lot of the, these... Uh, these accolades, um, you know, Brendan Fraser is, is in there as well, another Hollywood redemption uh, story. There are other big movies in there that, that are, the are favourites. Of course, the Fablemans. Yeah, the Fablemans, which flopped at, you know, not doing well at the box office, but yet critically uh, acclaimed as, as well. Tar, which is supposed to be an epically boring three hours, uh, is also critically acclaimed. So you can you can fall between two stools at these events. You can get a whole host of nominations. You can sweep the boards, mm -hmm. or you can end up getting getting very little out of it. Um, Colin Kuhn's nomination is, is absolutely fantastic. But you know, again, up against All Quiet in the Western Front, which was it's a big budget production uh, of a movie that has been done twice before as what a TV Kuhn series. Colin has been so incredibly well received. I mean, yeah. prior to all the Oscars buzz and all of that last, when it first, you know, came on stage. Yeah, the little know, film that could, uh, it's incredible to see and it's got serious momentum now as well. I yeah. think coming into the Oscars. There's a lot of work behind the scenes, isn't there, to yeah. get that. I mean, I, I heard Colin Barreth and he was speaking of all the support that you get then from Irish actors in Hollywood. There's a lot of sort of behind the scenes and lobbying that, that goes on as well in terms yeah. of 
building support and building momentum for, for movies. Yeah, it's no harm once you've got those kind of Irish-Americans, those second, yeah. third, fourth generation Irish-Americans fighting your corner and they have Academy votes, absolutely. Uh, briefly, who's likely to pick up awards, do you think, from the, the, the Irish contingent we're talking about? You're not stamping it all a bit now. <laughs> <laughs> do you believe that uh, Colin Farrell could get it for Best Actor? Does Paul Mescal stand a chance? Uh, no, Paul Mescal, I don't think, really stands a chance. You never know, the vote could be split. But uh, I would imagine it's going to be Brendan Fraser or Colin Farrell. I mean, we've got two actors in Best Supporting um, and then obviously Kerry Condon in Best Supporting Actress as well. But I would say Colin Farrell and The Quiet Girl are probably our best bet. OK, well, in the last hour, in other news, uh, Virgin Media brought you a documentary looking at Donald Trump's latest uh, tilt at the US presidency and the supporters still worshipping his every move. Take a look. He was sent by God. He was sent by God to preserve Abraham Lincoln's promise that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people will not perish from the face of this earth. And Joe Biden is expected to announce his own re-election bid in the coming weeks with a rerun of the 2020 election race, a distinct possibility now. Both men now contending with the same headache, classified documents. The last week has seen the Biden White House thrown into chaos with documents found at the president's home. We actually had Mike Pence, then the former uh, vice president, also bringing, uh, bringing his work home. Is, you know, is this, what, is this what they do? They just bring their classified documents home with them? Well, they all get daily briefings. The vice president and the president is given a briefing every day and there's a lot of documents. Obviously, that happens over the course of a year. So, I mean, stuff is going to go missing. I would say you have Obama, Clinton, you know, Bush, both, you know, George W. Bush. But it is being viewed out. as a huge misdemeanour. It is. I think it was made a big deal with Donald Trump because Donald Trump, the way he handled it, there was 300 documents. Apparently, there was nuclear documents in there. He said he gave them all to the archives. He hadn't. That's why there was a raid in Mar-a-Lago. Joe Biden's at least cooperating. But it was interesting seeing Mike Pence on January 12th doing an interview saying, how could Joe Biden be so careless? And Joe Biden doing a similar interview a few months ago saying, how could Donald Trump be so careless? So they're all kind of putting their hands up now going, they're having their lawyers look and they're cooperating. Yeah, and 2024 isn't that far away. Like, it's, it's a year away. Uh, funny, since Donald Trump announced that he was going to run in 2024, we haven't heard much from him. Uh, I wonder where that campaign is going now. We do have all the Mar-a-Lago uh, controversy um, and various uh, proceedings against him at, at civil level, as well as, you know, all the, the, the capital riots and all the rest of it. Um, where does it leave Trump and, and his support base, which we could see from Richard Chambers' documentary that ran before this programme, is clearly still very strong, very strong at its core. And the problem is there's always the suspicion with, with Trump that this is always a, a money-making scheme that, in effect, he will, he will take uh, donations and contributions, he will allow super PACs to be, to be set up to actually do the work on the ground and, and that, that won't uh, come out of, of his funding. So... It's a bit depressing, really, when you look at the Republicans after the, the last presidential election, the fallout from that, that that is still what... He is still what's been regarded as their number one candidate. And also, you'd have to say, on, on the Democrat side, it's not exactly inspiring that Joe Biden, you know, watching on a great record as he had at his age, is their number one pick for, for next time either. Kamala Harris seems to have sunk without a trace. Uh, still in a bit of disarray in, in a, a new regime taking over inside the House as well. Yeah, interesting that you're mentioning there about uh, Joe Biden's age. Uh, he is due to announce his run for re-election in the next couple of weeks. If he does and he, he is re-elected for another term, he will be 86 by the end of that term. Does that play 
a, a factor that you know people would decide. Look, he simply doesn't have the energy for the job at this age. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's he's, not. Yeah, he said he was running. It's one of the most he, powerful, powerful jobs in the world. Absolutely, and he said he was running because he thought he was the only person who could beat Donald Trump. And in fairness, he did beat Donald Trump. But you've also got people like Gavin Newsom, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Kamala Harris as well. She's not very popular at the moment, but she was very popular when she was announced to be his running mate. And these things are cyclical. I don't, I don't think it's going to be Trump as the nominee in 24 for the Republicans. I think it'll be Ron DeSantis. I think he, they get what they need policy-wise from Ron DeSantis without the messiness of Trump. Trump is ahead of him in polling, though, yeah. and polls that have been carried out now ahead of, of, ahead of Ron DeSantis, just despite everything that's going on in, in Trump's life. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like to see Ron DeSantis on a debate stage with Trump because apparently he's quite stiff in debates. But there was an NFL game a few days ago and uh, Ron DeSantis was at it and was in Kansas. It wasn't in his state, it wasn't in Florida. So he ran by 20 points. And he was uh, very well recognised, very well regarded. He was getting clapped, he was getting cheered. And that's, that's something that surprised the American media. Yeah. And we do love to talk about Donald Trump and, you know, how on earth this man came to be president and really is he going for it again. But what about Joe Biden in all of this? Um, you touched on it there. You, you said that you found it a bit depressing, Fiona, like the idea of him being another four years in office. Do you think that would be good for Ireland? Does it, does it make a difference? Is there a new energy required at the White House now? Like, he is very low in approval ratings, despite I mean, the midterm success. Suit us fine to have Joe Biden there for another, another four years. We'd, we'd have the access. We have the, the Irish-American shtick that, that we have there. We'd have a Democrat uh, in, in the office. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd tend to have a, a greater affinity there, even though a lot of Irish-Americans are actually, in reality, mm. uh, Republican voters. So... Great for Ireland if Joe Biden is there for, for four years. It, it doesn't exactly renew and re reinvigorate uh, politics, though, in the United States. We're pointing out as well, Mike Pence's grandfather's Irish. That's not something that's spoken about a lot. No, it's not. Like he's second generation. Good reason, some would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and what happens with, with Pence and all of this? I mean, he was considering a run as well, wasn't he? He is considering a run. I mean, he'll have to raise the money. Uh, I think he's polling about 6-7%. Nikki Haley thinks she's going to run as well. She's a governor of South Carolina. She's gonna, she might be more going for, for a VP slot. But it's going to be between Trump and DeSantis. How messy that debate stage gets. Mm -hmm. If DeSantis does announce he's going to run, will we'll be a mess. It'll be like 2016 multiplied by 10, I think. Yeah, and question is, do these classified documents and the controversy surrounding that for Joe Biden pose a risk to him? I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think so many people are coming out now, like, like today it was Mike Pence saying, oh, look, I, we found some as well. I don't think it's as big a deal. All right. OK, well, there we leave it. My thanks to Mike and to Fionnon and all our panel tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night and take care.